Let me tell you what this political movement is about. Jobs and growth for all Australians. Gone jobs and growth. Have great jobs. Economic growth. Strong growth. More jobs. When they go low, we go high. So I'm seeing in my mind something very similar with this bill to a colonoscopy. Let me just stop you so you don't waste a line of questioning. I'm just giving you... I love the mansplaining. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. Please clap. Please clap. This is Represent. 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 On Sid Nation. Hello and welcome to Represent on Sid Nation. I'm Julia. I'm Oscar. I'm Isadora. And I'm Susie. And this is going to be an adventure-packed uh, episode of Represent. Um, we'll be discussing lots and lots of interesting issues, such as the protests surrounding the court decisions regarding Elijah Doherty's death. Um, we'll be talking a bit about uh, asylum seekers and youth, uh, sorry, suicide and self-harm amongst asylum seekers and refugees. We'll be talking about what on earth is happening with Trump's staff, because uh, that's all kind of falling apart. And as always, we'll be having pop chat where we will be discussing some very interesting things that have happened in this week in politics. Now, you can get involved in the discussion too. Just send us a tweet to at SidRepresent or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash SidRepresent. We're going to go and play a song now. This is Ode to Viceroy by Mac DeMarco. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. Marco there with Viceroy. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. And we have two people here, um, Isadora and Zizi, who were at the protests yesterday in regards to the decision um, surrounding um, Elijah Doherty's death. So I'm going to take it to you guys. Uh, yeah, so yesterday um, in the middle of Melbourne CBD, there was a large protest. Um, it was a gathering of over a thousand people um, to protest what many of the people saw as a lesser charge for the death of the 14-year-old Elijah Doherty in Western Australia. Um, so basically, last week, uh, a 56-year-old man um, was cleared of manslaughter charges in the Perth Supreme Court, uh, and many of the people saw that the charge that he'd been given, which was vehicular manslaughter, uh, dangerous driving resulting in death, was too small a sentence for the death of a 14-year-old boy and many saw it as a racially charged issue. Yeah, so this is um, in the context of what um, is an ongoing issue in Australian politics, which is racial inequality and and, um, what people see as a sort of systematic inequality in a number of different areas, including in the criminal um, courts and um, looking at imprisonment of Indigenous youth and um, what is seen to be inequality between people getting charged and prosecuted and um, for, for crimes and then ending up in jail. So, um, 
sort of just another catalyst for that discussion. Um, and of course, it's a very, very sad um, occasion, particularly for those people in the Kalgoorlie community where um, Elijah Doherty lived and died. Um, but obviously, protests in, in Melbourne, the Melbourne protest was sort of the culmination of a week of different initiatives, both in Kalgoorlie and in uh, across the sort of eastern seaboard cities, Brisbane, Sydney. Um, Melbourne was the latest and the, I, I think the final of mm. that organised movement. Um, but so a national um, response to um, a, an incident in Western Australia. And I think you really got the feeling from the protest that his death represented something that affected every single Indigenous Australian, that this was something that represented an ongoing struggle with the justice system and with systematic inequality. Um, I think a lot of people there know that, you know, Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander people make up a quarter of the total prison population, despite making up a much lesser proportion of the total population. Mm. And this, um, what they see as injustice is just, has really sparked something inside of people and called them onto the streets yeah what were some of the feet like most like startling or surprising features um of yesterday's protest um i think first of all it needs to be acknowledged that it was a peaceful protest that um the people who were there were not there to um sort of do anything um in a violent manner um they were there to stand up and speak out and have their voices counted and um I think um, there were a very respectful crowd. Um, a lot of the words, uh, the, the the public speakers were talking about um, having a conversation, and um, there was obviously uh, anger and frustration being expressed. But there was also hope that perhaps people would start to listen, and um, there was uh, quite a bit of talk about um, the inclusion of. Uh, non-Indigenous Australians into that conversation and the necessity for everyone to um, really think hard about this incident in in the context of the broader inequality and I think that was really very impressive to witness. Mm. Yeah, so uh, Zizi, you um, compiled some, I guess, like sound sound grabs from um, the from the protest. So we're going to go and play that now. Today we're here protesting the fact that a 52-year-old white male can run over a 14-year-old Indigenous kid and get away with three years, um, with a possibility of parole in 18 months. The child was innocent. He was 14 years old. They love to dredge up the past of our black youth, saying that his death was justified, that the murder and killing of him was justified. His death represents hundreds and thousands of our Aboriginal youth that go unnamed, that remain silent in our justice system. The case of Elijah, 
it, it runs along with so many other cases that get swept under the rug in Australian society. Like, this this is an old narrative. We hear about this nearly every day of another black person um, getting lost in the system and then we, they end up dead. Shame on Australia! Shame on Australia! Our people are getting locked up harder and faster than any other person in the world. It's disgusting! What sort of future do we have? What future do young black folks have in this country? Do we even have one? All they're doing is locking us up and killing us. Taking justice into their own hands. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of hurting. I'm sick of the pain. It feels like someone just cut me in half. It's stabbing me. Every time we're here, sisters is that we stand in solidarity and we stand with peace but we also stand in resilience and we demand justice we demand a re- appeal of a court decision my love and my strength goes to the families of elijah and everybody else who has fallen victims to a fucked up system of society our people our children our youth are dying they are being slaughtered and they are being supported by the judicial system. Shame! There is no justice for our youth. This ruling has made it okay to murder Aboriginal children. Shame! This ruling shows that our black children don't matter. How many more deaths do we have to endure in our community when they start to matter? So that was some sound bites from the protest um, that happened yesterday from ZZ. Thank you so much for those. Um, so, of course, this is a, a very like difficult issue and there's a lot that we don't know about and can't really speak too much about. But I guess, like, that protest was huge. Yeah. I think the the main focus is the fact that they are calling for an appeal of the Perth, um, Perth court decision uh, to review the case, which limits what we can say about the actual incident itself because it might be under review um, if the protests are successful. But I think what is interesting about this is that this case represents to a lot of people a wider injustice. Mm. Uh, and you heard the passion of people's in their speeches. Um, a lot of the, the speech makers were nearly in tears uh, when they spoke, and it's because the death of this 14-year-old boy was so tragic, and it represented so many other smaller or larger injustices that have been suffered in Australia. Um, yeah, so there was a really passionate crowd, and I think that was really evident. Um, they started off at the steps of Parliament, the Victorian Parliament, and made their way slowly down uh, Burke Street, and that obviously it impacted. It's one of the busiest streets in in Melbourne, in the centre of the CBD, and it impacted on 
um, traffic uh, and trams going up the street and um, passers-by were stopping and interacting with the marchers and asking, you know, what was what was this all about? Um, so there was a constant engagement by protesters with those members of the interested public um, and they made their way um, down and congregated at the crossroads of the, you know, intersecting roads down Burke Street and stopped traffic there. I know they disrupted trams and there was a Yarra Trams alert for that, so that definitely made an impact on a Friday evening. Um, and uh, they ended up... Uh, At Flinders Street Station uh, mm. near Bed Square. Uh, and what they did is they lit a uh, ceremonial fire in a contained... Um, Aldrin, and lit a fire to kind of symbolise um, the protest. Uh, that was lit for possibly about an hour until the fire department was called. Um, while, while police are saying that um, the protest had ended when the fire department came, uh, it's interesting to note that the protest on Facebook had stated it would run till 10 mm -hmm. and the fire department was there by about I think 8 o'clock could have uh, around then um, to extinguish the flame um, and shortly up on sim online we'll have some footage of that yeah but um, I think and a lot of the crowd was it was interesting to note while it was a pretty peaceful protest a lot of the crowd was had anger towards mm. the police. So when you talk to protesters, there was constantly this um, conflict between the police presence, which they saw as quite extraordinary. Uh, a lot of them mentioned the fact that there were horse patrols, that there were a lot of police, and that they appeared to be heavily armed. And a lot of people saw this as an intimidation. Um, however, I, I'm not sure if it was more than standard police practice with any protests. But regardless, the fact the police was there, were there, was seen as like a, a tension within the protest, and I think it's because it does symbolise the justice system. Mm -hmm. um, so, while it was a peaceful protest, there was constantly this um, battle yep. between protesters, not in any physical way, but just in. It was like a clear cultural there was an atmosphere, like difference and mm. divide. Um, so, was this? I'm just. Just to make sure that I was correct about this, was this some particular um, protest? It was. It was by like the Warriors for Aboriginal Resistance. Like they were the 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 main group, weren't they? The the organisers. Yeah, but I I believe. And they're quite. They're, like I from our protests, I know that they've been very like careful around like ensuring that protests when they go ahead, that they're like completely like they don't go off 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 the track like I know that they've um sent out like previously like quite a while ago they um sent out um, a message to a far left group called the socialist alternative basically saying you know don't sell your stuff here this is like we're, when we're protesting this is about indigenous issues and you're allowed to be here as allies just don't make it about you which I think is like very interesting yeah, well, I, I believe they were organisers, but obviously something about this protest drew thousands of people in. Um, mm. And it was a, yeah, 
Yeah, it was very well run, very smooth running. Yeah. Protest. Um, well organized. Yeah, yeah, everyone was being very careful. Um, it was quite impressive to watch. It was it was a huge crowd, and while one person was arrested, the majority of people knew, you know, mm-hmm. how to operate peacefully and respectfully while still having this passionate atmosphere. Yeah. Oscar, do you have any thoughts about this particular issue? Um, not in particular. <laughs> Wait, was anyone... Do you know if anyone was arrested or during the protest? One man was arrested, but they haven't said why. It could have been c- completely unrelated reasons. But we're talking about a protest of thousands of people. Yeah. And yeah. one person bucked up, so... Mm. And, that, and again, we don't even know if it was related. It exactly. could have been another person who wasn't actually related in the protest mm. who could have um, who could have been involved. So should we go to a song now? Sounds great. Um, we're going to go back to like the 90s and play some Fat Boy Slim with Praise You. Um, also, you can join the conversation too. Just send us a tweet to at Represent or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Represent. We'd like to hear your opinions and your ideas about everything that we've been talking about today. Um, but firstly, here's the song and we'll talk soon. We've come a long, long way together Through the hard times and the good I have to celebrate you, baby I have to praise you like I collective there with my girls you're listening to represent on sin nation and we have Fadak al-fayad on the line with us we're going to be having an interesting interview with her um Fadak is from a refugee background and she works in law and human rights before her current work in community development she uh, worked with the refugees rights sector for around five years her work in settlement services was vital to newly arrived refugees um, she was also the director of advocacy at RISE and she is passionate about building and mobilising communities. Padak is an international and local speaker and commentator and she has had her work featured in Al Jazeera, The Age and Catalog Magazine. Thank you so much for joining us, Padak. No worries, thanks for having me. That's okay. Um, so w- what's really prompted our um, interview with you today is actually an incident that happened in Sydney yesterday where a man... Um, set himself on fire in front of the Department of Immigration. Um, so yes. we've actually seen quite a few um, incidents of refugees and asylum seekers uh, committing suicide um, 
you know, setting themselves on fire or also um, committing any kind of self-harm, both inside detention centres and outside detention centres. And I think the first question that we really want to ask is what, what prompts um, people who are asylum seekers and refugees to, I guess, do self-harm or, uh, you know, attempt suicide? Yeah, th thanks for that, Julia. Um, look, unfortunately, the person who um, self-harmed yesterday was someone who was not in a detention centre, so where they were they were out in the community. Um, and it's important to recognise there are different um, causes uh, that lead people to sort of self-harm in terms of whether they're inside or outside of detention. Um, but look, uh, the causes uh, are plenty, unfortunately, um, and mental health issues uh, tend to arise um, and be quite prominent amongst um, refugees and asylum seekers. Um, and the big reason for that is a bit, uh, a bit uncertainty about what the future holds. Um, and in terms of, you know, uh, having your life put on hold um, whilst your claims are being assessed, um, and on the, in the background, having our government continuously um, perpetuate the idea that people would never be offered asylum in Australia. So having these happen in the background whilst your life is on hold um, really um, affects your mental health, um, and that could happen to anybody, really. Um, and also the risk, the risk of being returned home also remains... Um, you know, a, a threat that the government sort of perpetuates. Um, as long as, you know, what, what, when people are returned or, de or deported, um, the risk of death or uh, torture is very much real, um, and that is exactly why people have made it to Australia in the first place. Yeah. So, look, um, inside it, I mean, in the community, people uh, on... Uh, whatever visa they are, they're continuously living um, in limbo. Um, and in the past at least three years, um, we have had people live in the community with basically no rights. Um, they are not allowed to work. They're not allowed to study. Um, and without doubt, this would result um, in affecting anyone's mental health um, whilst the threat of deportation lingers in the background and could happen at any time. Um, and, and it's important to keep in mind that there are actually a lot of conditions to living in the community. Um, so just because someone's been released out of detention, um, it, it, the rights are very, very limited. Um, and I've met people who are simply afraid to leave their houses um, for reasons of being, uh, you know, just being afraid of deportation. Um, and look, people seeking asylum are already very vulnerable people um, for, as a result of what's happened in their home countries um, in addition to the journey that they've made. Um, so, it, look, uh, unfortunately, uh, the unfair policy that our government perpetuates um, makes these things all the more difficult for them. Yep. Um, I'll what, a question. Yeah. What can be done to protect the mental health of asylum seekers and refugees? Um, simply to give people a fair process. Um, these people are very vulnerable and, and they are here to seek protection and seek our assistance. Um, solutions do exist, despite what our government tells us. So we can help those people, we can give them a fair process, and that's exactly what we should do. Um, we should also give them timely assessments of their claims. Um, so to make people wait at least three years to have their claims assessed is really awful and goes against 
uh, the Refugee Convention goes against uh, basic human rights because, uh, you know, your life is put on hold while your claim takes years to be processed, and that's not okay. Um, it should be done in a timely manner so that people can live in the community, they can contribute to society, they can go on with their lives. Um, so, you know, people should be offered protection um, and freedom uh, of movement um, and cannot be restricted to places they've been assigned. Um, uh, the, the people who are coming to seek asylum, they are entitled to, to a safe place. Um, and Australia actually has signed the Refugee Convention. Um, and as we've seen in the past, the UN and the UNHCR have um, repeatedly criticised um, how we have treated asylum seekers and refugees in Australia. Um, so that we should keep that in mind and we should uh, treat people with fairness, uh, with justice, and offer them a fair process to have their claims assessed. Um, and look, finally, I want to address um, a, a, a list of demands that um, were uh, put together by uh, RISE, the organisation that I used to be involved in, um, and it's it referred to as the ex-detainee demand, and I'd really like the audience to have a look at it um, and basically see what people of refugee background demand um, in terms of basic human rights. It's a very concise, uh, very easy to read list um, for the audience, but basically um, offer people fair process, uh, give, you know, give them uh, fairness um, and allow them to have their claims assessed. Um, that would uh, relieve all um, mental health issues and any issues in the community in terms of uh, refugees and asylum seekers. Thank you so much for speaking to us, uh, Fadak Al-Fiyad. And, um, yeah, hope you have a good day. All right, thank you. Thanks so much. So that was... Um, um, so, uh, yeah, that was um, Fadad. Thank you so much. She was such a wonderful speaker. And please remember, if this has raised any issues for you, uh, you can call Lifeline on 131114 or the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800. Um, if you are suffering any mental health issues, these lines are here for you. Yeah, thank you so much again for telling us that. Um, yeah, so I guess... It's, a, it's, again, an ongoing story, and we have very, very um, limited amount of information uh, regarding that particular incident. But um, I guess we've also got the discussion around um, Peter Dutton's um, new... Super ministry. Yeah. Super, is, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's a super ministry. Um, and I guess it, it, this is, is an issue that can continually gets it, creeps its way back into... Um, not only Australian politics, but also global politics. We're still having discussions around this. Um, I was listening to This American Life. It was really interesting because um, there, there was a discussion about a town in Alaska that doesn't even have immigrants, but there's this huge drama around immigration and if they're going to allow immigration into this small town in Alaska that no one immigrates to. Um, and I think... It's like an issue that's been very like polarizing. Well, I think the the Peter Dutton Super Ministry says something a lot about the Australian approach to refugees and asylum seekers, because we take the Minister for Immigration, a department that is primarily dealing with you know people moving over here for economic purposes, to have holidays, to journey here, and sometimes for asylum seekers, and we're effectively saying that these people are. A, a 
a threat to Australia. Mm. And it's it's this really warring trend to cast the outsider as the enemy. And I think what Fadak was saying was quite interesting when we talk about community visas. Now, community visas are, in, in refugee processing, are meant to allow uh, people whose claims are being processed to not be locked up and to actually interact with the community. But the fact that she mentioned that they have restrictions on access to work and access to study, which is primarily how people enter the community and interact with other people, the fact that they've been denied just means that the government is trying to isolate these vulnerable people who are at high risk of mental health issues and are therefore at risk of isolation and further damaging them. And I think also with education, a part of that is like language education and I think for people who are not from an English speaking background like I'm, I'm, I mean like this is something I don't know about like if that if education means also not allowing them to learn English that's also very worrying well, if that was, is the case. There was a controversy earlier this um, year about the plans to change the citizenship test so you would have to, so you'd have to be able to get a certain, have a certain level of proficiency in English. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that went through in the end, but whether it's still an ongoing There was thing. heavy criticism that the standard yeah. of English that demanded by the citizenship test was, like, quite high-quality university levels of English, which the majority of Australians, even, like, Australians born raised and lived their whole life here may not be going to university therefore why are they being forced to Mm. why are new immigrants being forced to this higher standard um exactly yeah i think uh, in terms of uh accessing study i think the concern and work is that once they become part of the community a lot of the time the community wants them to stay uh, and if their asylum seeker applications do get rejected, you'll have the community making an uproar, making demands on the immigration minister to let these individuals stay. So by isolating them from society, even when they're on a community visa, you stop the public from being able to fight on their behalf, which is how quite a lot of immigration um, settle, uh, disputes get settled. Mm. Um, Anyway, we would like to hear your thoughts about this issue, which is, again, something that just always creeps in. It's such a, it's such a pivotal and important issue, um, I guess, in Australian politics and global politics um, overwhelmingly. But if you, have a, if you have any thoughts or feelings, please tweet to us at SinRepresent or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. We're going to be playing a very interesting song, which will make sense once we talk about... Um, once we uh, go to pop chat, this is uh, Abba with Dancing Queen. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. Represent.
present on Sin Nation, and that was ABBA with Dancing Queen, which might be a little confusing for you until I finish the sentence. Yes. By the way, this is Pop Chat. So this is Pop Chat. Yes, Pop Chat. Uh, so we're looking at the things this week that were a little bit interesting in the world of politics, uh, one of which is related to our sovereign in Australia, the Queen. Um it's being reported today that uh, the opposition leader, Bill Shorten, will be um, in a speech tonight to uh, the Australian Republican movement, suggesting that if uh, the ALP is elected in their next, you know, the first term of government, they will be putting forward um, uh, a vote. So we'll have a referendum on becoming a republic. And yes. it will be a clear yes or no vote to should Australia become a republic. Um, mm. And perhaps learning a few lessons from the last Republican campaign, which got very bogged down in the details of what said republic would look like. Mm. And um, some commentators <coughs> say that's that's perhaps why I that, think that vote um, failed. There's also been a huge cultural shift in terms of politics and perhaps even the community um, although we'll have to test that with a referendum, mm-hmm. about our happiness with the idea of an Australian head of state. Um, as you obviously know, Malcolm Turnbull w- really was the figurehead of the Australian Republican movement in the 90s, and now we have an opposition party who is agreeing on the same motion that we should have an Australian head of state. And I believe most state and territory premiers are also in agreement with this. Um, a few years ago, there was a, uh, a, a petition which had the signatures of all the premiers who said that they believed in an Australian Republican movement. And I don't think that was the case back in the 90s where John Howard was a very strong monarchist and mm-hmm. we had support from state... Uh, we didn't have support of the state and territories, um, or at least all of them, for a Republican movement. So I think this going to be something to watch. I think the states is quite an interesting topic in terms of a constitutional referendum because there's the state constitution which has appointments for governors who are appointed by the queen and then there's the federal constitution as well so there would have to be a number of amendments to state constitutions in order to I guess fully execute a sovereign Australia. Absolutely. Though I, su- I suspect that, you know, given the um, requirements of the referendum, if um, they're fulfilled in that each state and territory um, is in agreement um, with the majority required that um, a re- republic is what the, the population of Australia wants, mm-hmm. um, then it would be very hard for a, a premier of a state to argue with that sort of yeah. um, weight um, and not... Um, go through with those processes with their own state parliaments. But yeah, you make a valid point. It's not just one vote and done. Bob's your uncle, we're now a republic. It's a, it would be a very lengthy process. Very but I find it lengthy. interesting that Bill Shorten is going to be proposing this because there is quite a lot of constitutional reform that is on the cards at the moment, um, including the Indigenous um, recognition or treaty. or treaty or whatever permutation that... Um, uh, reconciliation takes and uh, uh, it's it's certainly an interesting space. They've had recent discussions or um, at least a chat 
between um, Shorten and Turnbull about fixed four-year terms for the um, Australian Parliament, which would also have to be a constitutional change. And there's a whole lot going on with um, Section 44, which is... Yeah, talking about having un-Australian people in, <clears throat> you know, in government. Um, yeah, it, it keeps on... It's a gift that keeps on giving. So Section 44 is a section of our constitution which doesn't allow any sitting member of parliament to have allegiance to a foreign entity. Now, in multiple high court battles over the years of our constitution, this has been defined as you cannot have dual citizenship to another nation. That would be allegiance to another nation. And we're now confronting the fact that I believe three senators have discovered that they are dual citizens. Right, so mm. it all kicked off with Scott Ludlam, the Green Senator from... Former Senator That's from Western Australia. Accidental Zond person. That's a f- just fabulous. That was fabulous a terrible accent. accent. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Apologies to all New Zealand <laughs> listeners. Um, <laughs> it's just said with love. Um, so he uh, just took one for the team... And yeah. resigned. Yeah. It was actually uncovered by a Melbourne lawyer who had been investigating, um, I believe it was reported he had been investigating Darren Hinch's eligibility for Parliament, seeing as he had been in jail previously. And he was going through the constitutional requirements for senators. And he uncovered that since Scott Ludlam had been born in New Zealand uh, and had lived there for a whole of 14 months of his life when he was a wee babe, um, he was therefore ineligible because he had not formally renounced his New Zealand citizenship. And certainly there was a, a previous change.org kind of campaign petition about two years ago that raised the issue, which was brushed aside. So, yes, it's, it's certainly been swirling around for a little wow. bit. And then, of course, Larissa Water is becoming an accidental... She actually has called herself an accidental um, Canadian on Twitter, yeah. And that was a complete like fluke because in Canada, a week after she was born, um, they repealed this act, which meant that anyone who was born in Canada was instantly a citizen of Canada. So that's why she became a, can- a Canadian sister, uh, Canadian, a ca- Canadian citizen. Because um, even though her parents were from Australia and were not temporary residents, because she was born there, she just got instant. Um, Instant Canadian citizenship, which she was unaware of. So both Deputy Greens leaders uh, out. And I think what's interesting with these is the fact that it was a minor party. A minor party, which many assume just hadn't done the proper checks and balances, hadn't properly scrutinised their candidates, uh, and didn't have like the, the procedural might to bring in constitutional lawyers to vet every single one. Which was looking like a real political issue yeah. for the Greens at and that point because they, they'd been making all of these sort of... Um, uh, Major party attempts. Claims to the public, yeah. you know, we've we've got our act together, we've been on the political scene for a while. Mm. Um, Take us seriously. And Absolutely. Now, and now it looks like they trip over themselves over what appears yeah. to be a, a, a very unfortunate but rookie mistake. So that was the story until something this else week. happened. This well, week Matt on Tuesday. Canavan, is that how you say his name? Canavan? Matt Canavan, yep. the uh, senator for Queensland and minister for resources and the Northern Australia. He was found to have 
been also accidentally a citizen uh, due to a, um, a specific clause within the Italian constitution which says that anyone whose parents has Italian citizenship also has Italian citizenship. And incidentally, Julia Banks has sort of been like questioned about whether or not she may be a Greek. Which is the Liberal MP um, from Victoria. And um, she holds an incredibly marginal siege. Um, I think that she might be in the clear now, but yeah, it looks like it's it's safe. it's something that is you know it went from oh the Greens I haven't got their act together to um, like this is something like if it turns out that a person in the House of Representatives um, who's liberal if something like if if they lose an MP that's going to be really disastrous for the. For the Liberal Party. So certainly the, the the two Greens have sort of resolved that issue in that they've resigned, but um, uh, Matt Canavan, um, aside from uh, just, I feel like his, I feel very sorry for his mum, who obviously thought she was doing the right thing oh, yeah, in absolutely. 2006, applying and um, getting getting that citizenship for him. Um, it's it's oh, rather upsetting. She did not upsetting. apply for citizenship. For him, she applied, right, applied for, for herself, herself. Yeah, and because of the the specifics of Italian citizenship, that transferred to him. Right. Mm. Um, but what is interesting about Canavan is that while he did resign from cabinet and lost his cabinet positions of resources in Northern Australia, he has not resigned, quit, as, a resigned as a senator, which I think is angering the Green senators who, who were like, you know, I mean, I'm sure like. Who knows? Maybe these people might renounce their secondary citizens and citizenships, and you know, maybe may re-enter politics. We don't know. They can re-enter politics. So, what is on the table for Larissa Waters and Scott Ludlam is that they can renounce their citizenship formally and reapply for elections. But that will take some years, and they will have to run for re-election all over again. Yeah. Um, and so obviously, it's a huge bump in the road for them but they but they have people who like i think to the greens they consider themselves like like, i think the greens have sort of made it out like okay these people have done the right thing because you know found out they knew that you know mia culpa and you know leave um whereas perhaps they're thinking that canavan is not taking responsibility for this interestingly to note the malcolm roberts um belief that he is not a British citizen. So Malcolm Roberts is the One Nation Senator, uh, I believe, from Queensland. Um, and he it is alleged that he is also a dual British, British citizen, uh, or at least was when he was running for election. Now, it has been his case is now being... will be referred to, to the High Court mm-hmm. to assess his eligibility to sit in the last Senate elections. Now, in all of these cases, I think the most interesting thing about them is the fact that Section 44 demands allegiance, yet none of these people knew that they had any allegiance to these nations. Absolutely In most of their statements, it is either a technicality of the Constitution or it was while they were a baby. Absolutely. Um, So we've got some more interesting stories as well, um, such as going to... America, um, America, pardon, America, America, um, 
Anthony Saramucci's wife has just filed for divorce. It's just he's not having a very good he's first not having week. A good week. First week. So this is the uh, uh, well, as of a week ago, um, uh, White House communications director, um, um, who once he was once he ascended to that role, um, Sean Spicer was like, "Yep, I'm out. Bye." Which I think is interesting. Um, and also, uh, John F. Kelly is going to replace Renice Priebus. Right. Previous, I don't know how. I you think say that's it, how you say it. That on on how July thir- on July thirty first. So that's another thing. Yeah. So we not only have we got Spicer resigning, um, and Rance Previous actually being fired. Like, there's what's a going on? A lot of staff changes at the old White House, isn't there? Just a, a lot of people not getting along. Yeah, and um. So there's been some very interesting statements by Saramucci about other um, other members of staff, which I shall not say because it is not worth mentioning on radio because it's quite lewd. Um, but yeah, that that's that's pretty um, tumult- uh, tumultuous. That's and the word. I've got to say, possibly entertaining from afar until you start thinking about what these people are actually supposed to be doing, which is running. Uh, one of the most powerful countries on the planet. Well, it's Absolutely. interesting that the uh, these are the people that are meant to be uh, explaining what the government is doing, and yet the story is just about them. So with with uh, Sean Spicer, I do not believe I remember many stories of what he was actually reporting the government was doing. What I do remember is his major stuff-ups, you know, the times that he himself was the story... Malcolm Trumbull. (laughs) Most notoriously, our (laughs) glorious, uh, I believe it was President Malcolm Trumbull as well. Um, (laughs) If only. That's what he wants. That's what Malcolm wants. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe with the referendum. But but we're talking about people who are the centre of the story, and that's not what a press secretary is. That's not what the director of communication is, and yet he is. Yet we're sitting here and talking about him right now. It's wonderful. Anyway, that is all we have time for and represent this week. Um, tune in next time. We'll be same place, same time, same people. Maybe next week we'll get to some policy from the uh, White House, but Maybe. don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. Uh, I'm Julia. I'm Zizi. I'm Isadora. I'm Oscar. And, of course, you can um, keep up with us on Twitter and Facebook. We are represent at Sin... Sorry, we are... Sorry. At Sin Represent on Facebook on Twitter and um, we're also on Facebook Um, tune in next week we'll be talking more interesting politics news stay political